Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mormon Stories Podcast. I am one of your hosts for today, John Delin. It is uh, October 17th, 2023, and we are uh, now covering part two of our series on a book that has taken the Mormon church and Mormon prepper church culture by storm. The book is Visions of Glory. The author of the book is Tom Harrison, Mormon therapist Tom Harrison. And we just spent a good five and a quarter, five and a half hours talking about uh, Tom Harrison, his history, his claims, uh, his connections to all sorts of alleged criminals. I don't know. I think that's accurate. Not that he, I'm not saying he's trying to be a criminal, but he seems to sprout criminal uh, behavior, allegedly. And uh, we talked about, we did a deep dive into his book, Visions of Glory, which is a book that he published in 2012 uh, with a co-author scribe named John Pontius, who has passed away under the pseudonym Spencer, where he talks about his three near-death experiences. And he talks about the, the second coming of Jesus, Mormon style, Mormon prepper style, and all the activities and visions and mayhem that's going to lead up to that, including the white cities, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that was part one, and we promised to come back for part two because uh, if that weren't enough, uh, we we discussed uh, as a setup to last episode the connections to several recent global news stories, Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow, uh, several murders associated with them. Tim Ballard, uh, CEO of Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, you know, he now has several sexual allegations against him and, and allegations of fraud. And then, of course, uh, uh, we have uh, Ruby, Ruby Frankie, the Eight Passengers YouTube channel, and uh, therapist Jody Hildebrandt. All of those criminals or alleged criminals or people who are in jail have deep connections to Tom Harrison and the book Visions of Glory. And we're going to be talking about that more here in part two. Um, and uh, joining us, uh, traveling here from all the different places they live. First, we have uh, the Lauren Mathias, uh, the 50% of uh, the Hidden True Crime YouTube channel. Hey, Lauren. Hello. You ready to go more? Like is five and a half hours not enough? Ready to go. You Let's want to do, do another this. two or three? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to add to the, I know you're, we're doing a joint simulcast to my audience and yours. Anything you want to add as an intro? Um, no, thank you. Yeah. Hidden a true crime podcast, uh, YouTube channel or, or podcast. Thank you for, for having me. I'm so grateful we can do this collaboration John and I have been talking about this along with the two other guests we have here for, for so long. And I think it's, it's just, it's due time. And I'm grateful we're rocking this all out tonight, part one and two. Yeah. So. And if you're interested in, in true crime, especially uh, covering Utah, Idaho, Arizona, honestly, a lot of Mormon themes. Uh, Lauren has a, a career as a reporter, as a journalist, um, and she's carried that into with her forensic psychologist husband, Dr. John. Yes. So check them out if you want to check out the latest on Tim Ballard. Uh, you know, the the um, Daybell 
Valo case, Ruby Frankie, she's got it all and more, right? Yes, you, you and Jody Hildebrand. Yeah, we we cover crimes from all over. It's just that Mormons keep delivering content these days. <laughs> so I'm probably going to have to start a channel with John called <laughs> called Mormon Hidden True Crime <laughs> Stories or something. But uh, yeah, we cover we cover crime. We delve into crime. We we've uh, deep for four years. We've covered the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case, and then we we've been covering Jody Hildebrandt, and we've been covering, yeah, every every and Tim Ballard. All so, right, yeah, yeah. All right. So also joining us today, back on Mormon Stories, is the uh, Megan Connor. Hey, Megan. Hi. Uh, Megan is known. She had her own Mormon Stories episode. Was it one or multiple? I think it was just one okay. back in May. And Megan is Lori Vallow's cousin, first cousin, correct? That's right. And so she grew up spending summers with uh, with uh, Lori's family because yep. it, it was her family. Yeah, exactly. And she's also super smart and informed and wise about all these issues. So we're so grateful you'd come out of state to join us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having me, Megan. And we have my my brilliant, <laughs> wise book club friend, super sleuther. Uh, she wields her binders with force and truth. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, the Mindy Caldwell. Hey, Mindy. Hi. Glad to be back. I'm glad we're doing this all in one night. This is fun. Happy anniversary to you and Steve. Thank you. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Steve. I love you. Is Steve going to not forgive me for keeping you here all day you know, during your anniversary? I think he'll get over it. He'll be fine. <laughs> we have plans to celebrate otherwise. So. Yeah. Thank and, you. And Mindy, you are... Megan was responsible for the the main structure and uh, of part one. Mindy, you kind of took the lead here for part two. I did, yes. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, we welcome everyone joining us on the live streams, YouTube, Facebook, etc. I want to start by just thanking everyone who donates to Mormon Stories and the Open Stories Foundation. All of this is because of those of you who are monthly donors who go to mormonstories.org, click on the donate button and become monthly donors. Um, we always appreciate Super Chats here on YouTube. Uh, and then, Lauren, how do people support you if they want to support you and John? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Patreon.com slash Hidden True Crime. Uh, we do episodes there, and and we have, also have a book club. Uh, in fact, we have a book club this Wednesday where we do a movie club and a book club, and we do a live Zoom for everyone, and that's through Patreon.com slash Hidden True Crime as well. This Wednesday, we're covering Abducted. It was abducted in plain sight about the East Idaho family, that uh, Sky Borgman documentary on Netflix. It's a few years old now, but... Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. 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 The, Another Mormon the, crime. Mm -hmm. The girl gets kidnapped by the same men. Correct. Twice. Correct. So we'll be discussing yeah. that on live Zoom, and, and you can join that through Patreon. All right. All right. So... Uh, we're in for another round. Um, Mindy, do you want to do you want to kind of kick this off and sure. guide us through a little bit? Sure. So we decided that we would talk about, we feel like we covered the book Visions of Glory um, adequately in our previous episode. Thoroughly. <laughs> Thoroughly. <laughs> and so we, we thought that for this episode, we would talk about um, the more current connections um, to Tom Harrison as the therapist and local therapist and the influence that he's had. Um, in the community, uh, sometimes connected to the book Visions of Glory and sometimes separate from that. But we feel like it's important to highlight um, these connections because, as John mentioned in the introduction, many of these um, um, 
connections to Tom have resulted in in some uh, criminal and um, somewhat disturbing uh, behavior and have gotten a lot of national and global recognition. So that's why we feel um, connected to this uh, this first episode that it would be important to to highlight some of these these stories. So some of this will be a little bit of a repeat. We'll try to get through this quickly. Um, but we also want to take the time to to touch on things um, thoroughly, and so you, you have an understanding of 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 these um, these uh, connections. So I have a hard time saying the word connections now because of, because of uh, Jody Jody, every time I find my I think I've studied so much. <laughs> I know. I've studied so much of these uh, videos and and podcasts, and I'm like, oh, every time I say the word connections, I cringe a little bit. But it's, I can't say distortion yes. either. Oh, distortion, you know, I can't say something's yes. distorted because I'm like, no, that's yes. Jody Hildebrandt. She ruined that for me. Exactly. It's okay, Mindy. You are not not enough. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you are not not enough is the name of Jody Hildebrandt's book. It's, it's an yes. interesting title. Okay. And we will get to Jody Hildebrandt uh, later on. But first, we're just going to recap um, and touch on Chad and Lori Daybell because I, Lori Daybell, because are we calling her Lori Daybell or are we calling her Lori Vallow? Lori Vallow Daybell. Either know, works, Lori Vallow yeah, Daybell. Yeah, either yeah. works. And it's hard because the Vallows don't want her to be called Vallow. The Daybells mm, don't want her to be called yes. Daybell, but she's kind of both. And legally in the trial, they called her Vallow because legally her name is Vallow. So okay. Yes. All right. It's we'll call whatever her Lori you Vallow. Um, I think we start with them because I think their case is the most tragic of all of them. Um, we're mindful of the victims in this case of uh, Lori Vallow's children, JJ and Tylee, who were murdered. Um, Chad's wife, Tammy, was murdered. Um, uh, Lori's, I think we refer to him as her ex, but he wasn't her ex at the time. They were still currently married. So her current, her husband, uh, Charles Vallow, was murdered. Um, and possibly there could be other, other deaths associated. Um, uh, so there was an attempt on... on um, on Brandon Boudreaux's life, he was the niece of Lori. Uh, he was Lori Vallow's niece's husband or estranged husband. There was an attempt on his life. So there's just a lot of criminal um, behavior with this group. So we figured that they would be uh, the the starting point. And we did cover a lot of a lot of this case in our last episode, but we'll touch on a few things that we didn't cover last time. One you, thing that you mentioned JJ and Tylee, right? Yes. Did they mention them by yes. name? By it's name. important to mention Some their names. Some people were saying, yes, oh, just say their names. And so, yes, oh, yeah. JJ and Tyler. She did. Yes, yeah. I did. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Just making yes. Sure. Thank you for the reminder. We can say their names a lot. <laughs> um, so, one thing we didn't mention is that Lori was a fan of the, of the book Visions of Glory long before she met Chad. And so, by the time she and Chad's paths, paths crossed, she was already swimming in these waters of like near-death experiences and times. And so uh, Lori meets Chad at a conference where he is speaking about his visions and he makes reference to, um, to a part of the book in Visions of Glory. And so we have a video clip. Uh, Lauren, do you want to talk about this yeah. video clip? Yeah, and I want to say, too, that this is a Preparing a People conference, and while Preparing a People conference no longer exists because I think Chad gave it a bad name, it's now Latter-day Media. is still run by the Jameses, Mike and Nancy James. So, so this Preparing a People conference is one of the many conferences that gave Chad Dable a platform and one of the many that, you know, you know, many of the people that attend this conference read the book Visions of Glory. 
And we're going to delve into those conferences and to these people. So I just want to set that stage. It's really important. And so, yes, in this little clip we're about to play, I, I put this together. I scripted this. But you are going to hear a voice refer to Spencer. And this is Chad Daybell speaking at that conference. And it's actually the day he meets Lori Vallow. That, the speech Chad gave to Lori Vallow is on our channel, Hidden True Crime. We're the only ones that have that speech. And this is taken from that speech. He actually mentions Spencer and Visions of Glory in that speech. And there's also a little bit with um, the with Anna that you interviewed where she, she was mm. part of the prepper community and she... Yes, and, and Anna was a member of Avow, another oh, voice of right. warning. That's right. And so she brings up Visions of Glory. So Avow is the prepper website located in Rexburg. That's also another major player in giving Chad Daybell his platform. And right. Anna is an ex-member of Avow sharing what uh, she's yeah discovered and what she thinks really affected the belief system. And she mentions Visions of Glory. Should we play it? Let's play it. All right, let's roll the clip. According to multiple sources, including family, Lori also loved the book Visions of Glory by John Pontius. Pontius passed away from cancer shortly after his book's publication and remained a member of the LDS Church at death, but his book too has been controversial. It revolves around a man named Spencer and Spencer's multiple near-death experiences and visions. Pontius interviewed Spencer for his book and declares Spencer's visions as truth. I, I believe the Ten Tribes have great gifts that we don't understand. In Spencer's book, Visions of Glory, he talks about how they can just mold rock. <laughs> they can take a tree and tell it to be a chair or something like that, and the tree will obey. I found the real Spencer during my research. He's a therapist from Salt Lake City, Utah. His real name is Tom Harrison. After asking Harrison many questions, he mailed me a letter he had written to leaders of his LDS congregation in 2014. I read a part of the letter to one of our interviewees named Anna, who also brought up the controversy and prominence of the book, Visions of Glory. Here is a snippet from that interview. I don't know that I'd ever heard of portals before Visions of Glory. Okay. And, um, you know, Mike Stroud started talking about portals. Chad's talked about portals. But, uh, yeah, I think it's really influenced people. It's really influenced people, right. she says, right. to say the least. <laughs> so what do you guys take from that as being kind of essential takeaways? The prominence of the book. Yeah. I, I think that this this group, so, so again, th these conferences, it's being talked about. That this is well though. So again, Anna's in a vow, a prepper website that does visions and and you know, visions and dreams and prepping in Rexburg, Idaho. And then you have the preparing people conference, and Chad is talking about it. Then she mentions Mike Stroud. He's now an excommunicated member from Arizona. He was a seminary teacher for years, and he's talking about it. Julie Rose talking about it. This book is taking this group of like-minded Mormons by storm. It is well known, even if you've never heard of this book, I think it's really important to say, because I hadn't heard of this book until the Daybell case, but it's really important that even if you haven't heard about this book, this book is making waves. Absolutely. I think that um, the next clips that we want to talk about, oh, before we do that, we, we did mention in the previous episode about 
the the video from Hawaii where the police approached Lori and Chad poolside. We don't have to show the whole video again, but I do think we have a clip of that. If you can show that, a photo. And just everyone pay attention to the book that's yes. under Lori Vallow's right knee. <laughs> this is after all the deaths. All the deaths. Of all the children, of the children, of the ex-spouses, of the spouses. Check out, while they're in Hawaii, at the poolside, what book is under uh, Lori Vallow's knee. That's and it's really full circle. Here we have the speech that Chad gave when he when he's meeting Lori for the first time, mentioning it. And here he is now with his new wife after a murder spree reading it. This book is clearly not just this book clearly, clearly has played a major role in their belief system. Yeah, for those who can't see the the Visions of Glory book is is right there on the beach lounge chair under under Lori Vallow's knee and Chad's kind of bending over you know checking uh, at least the book out yeah and I and should I is this a good time to also state that I do know from three separate sources once again that Tom Harrison was meeting with Chad Daybell and Julie Rowe um from three extremely reliable sources now I have yeah. that information and we don't have a video clip that's just a still is that right Mindy yeah, we showed the video clip in okay. the first yeah, that, in the no, first episode. No I don't think we need to to show that again. Okay, cool. Um, Lori, or excuse me, Lauren had the opportunity to interview um, a gentleman by the name of Braxton Southwick. Megan, do you want to tell us about Braxton? <laughs> <laughs> well, Braxton is another one of my cousins. Um, also lived in the California area when we were kids, and we did uh, spend a little time together during the summers. Braxton became an extreme prepper. He appeared on many, many episodes of, um, I think it was a Discovery Channel documentary about prepping and and went around lots lots of different places and on, on different radio shows and everything talking about his, his prepping and really became a part of, you know, this extreme prepper community. You know, he was, he was, is still, I think, very, very big into that. And He's also not a fan of mine. So, <laughs> and, and to clarify, if you're wondering, yes, because he is Megan Connor's cousin, he is also Lori Vallow's cousin. And he has shared that he gave Lori visions of glory, that they have talked about visions of glory a lot. So he has, he said that this book was the book that they talked about. And so, yes, I'm very grateful. I, I interviewed um, your cousin, Lori Vallow's cousin. Uh, for two hours, and we talked about mu a lot about visions of glory and prepping. So yeah, I think we can roll the first clip with Braxton. And in this clip, he he talks about how he and Lori often discussed the book Visions of Glory. All right, let's roll it. Who would you and who would you and Lori talk about together when you would talk about? your like-minded beliefs when it came to the prepping community? Who did you discuss? Just the books. Nobody. And then which books? Which books? Um, the biggest one was um, Visions of Glory. Okay. That was a, just a great book. Um, we liked talking about that one. We talked okay. about it a few times. A few times? Mm -hmm. Parts in the book and what we thought and what we interpreted when we read it. It was just fun. You know, did she take it literally? Um, I think so. As 
I kind of do too some of the stuff, you know, take literally, but um, uh, for me, it's all good and fun. And um, I think she just took it as scripture. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of these people did was take it as more scripture than anything else. So, okay. I have so many questions. Thank you for delving into this. So visions of glory. You said you have your book with you, right? Do you have your book? Yeah, uh, uh, vision, I just pulled it out of my, um, thank you. My library downstairs. Yeah. That, that book, uh, became, uh, I've been, I've been reading this book. I've read it a few times now. Uh, I didn't know about it until this case. This is, that was research. So you and I talked on the phone even, and you said, well, did you like, it? I said, I have to be honest, Braxton, I read it very biased because yeah, I was reading it for research of this case. And so, so no, I, I have to admit, I didn't like it because I'm seeing all these similarities in the book that Lori's seen. I've seen similarities in Tom Harrison, he's Spencer's beliefs and, and Lori's. We'll get into that in just a second. You know, this book though, I, I've heard from many people, she liked it. And then it was definitely confirmed in trial when body cam footage uh, or cell phone footage, I should say, from Kauai police showed Lori reading it by the poolside when she was delivered the order to to present her children to the court. And then in addition to that, confiscated it and it showed it in, in all of the, the search of her vehicle that they had taken this, this religious book. You know, it's it's really interested me for quite a while. I've talked to numerous people who have told me they felt that this book played a role to the point where I finally listened to it. And I, I can't help but see what they're talking about. I, I feel like this is where portals began. Everyone sort of made fun of Chad and Lori's belief in portals, but it's very clear that portals are all the rage and visions of glory. And that many people do take this book seriously 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 <laughs> <laughs> what what the fetch was he saying what did he say fun what it's did all he good say fun. I think it's, fun. it's all good fun i think right after that i finally said to him what do you mean by good and fun right i was like <laughs> let's go back to what good and fun is right but yeah that book is anything but good and fun i don't see it as fun i see it as a lot of carnage i see it as violent yeah i see a lot of death and destruction in the book it's Quite yeah. scary to me. Yeah. So, Visions of Glory was not the only book that influenced uh, your cousin Braxton and Lori's cousin Braxton, but it does sound like that was the one book that he had the closest connection with Lori that they would discuss the most. So, um, John, let's go to the next, uh, skip the next clip, but the following clip. And this is um, Braxton is discussing these books and he and Lauren have a great discussion about whether or not he believes in demonic possession. Do you have anything to add to that before we watch it? No. Yeah, we can go ahead. Is the, is the one you're sk skipping part of that too? Cause I think, Oh, do we need to do that one too? I think we yeah. just do them. Let's oh do yeah. Them let's both. do them both. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. All right. I'll roll it. Roll it. Roll the tape. Visions of glory is written by a man named John Pontius, but he's essentially like the ghost writer. He's yeah. writing the visions of Spencer. Spencer is an alias, but his real name is Tom Harrison, which I can share because he has come out publicly multiple times. I actually grew up near the Harrison family. And uh, so Tom Harrison wrote this book, Visions of Glory. And he states at the 
the book that these are his visions that he had dreams, dreams and visions of the last days. And it's a near death experience book gone. Here are the visions of the last days. It's just one of the genre we keep talking about, but it's, it's in great detail. And he discusses portals. He discusses the days of tribulation. He discusses his wife dying uh, suddenly because he has another mission to fulfill he uh, does share a, a chapter, and I'm sure you know this, you've read it a few times too, where evil spirits are getting into a man who's looking at porn. They're getting into the yeah. top of his head. Yeah. And um, lots of books, not just these books that we're reading, a lot of books. A lot of books. The same thing. And seeing so, you know, to me, he might not have used the word zombie, but to me, that's what a zombie is. Yeah, maybe that's why they, they called it a zombie. They are saying the same thing, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Spirits enter through the crown of your head. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when you do evil things, they're, they're going to be able to get in and they don't want to leave. They want to take over your whole body. Yeah. Yeah. They I want, mean, to me, that's a, that's a zombie. <laughs> yeah. They want to feel what humans feel because they, they're disembodied. They never had a body. And so they, in a moment of weakness, like drugs, alcohol, um, his example of porn, any of those, they enter through the crown of the head and they get to feel for a moment human body emotions. Maybe we can just go to the next one. We can yeah. just roll right into the yeah. next. We'll just roll into the next. It's kind of the same. It's continued on this thought. John, you seem like you have something you want to say. <laughs> John's eyebrows are raised. Like, what is he talking about? I mean, you listen to just his diction, and the, he sounds super thoughtful and articulate. Uh, thoughtful and articulate. But then he's talking about this stuff not like it's a problem. It's like, oh, yeah, demons entering the crown of your head. And very, he's very matter of fact. Out. Yes. Very yeah. matter of fact. But I mean, it's he's assimilated this as his belief system. Correct. Just full on, full stop. Yes. And that's why I feel like these clips are important because I think it shows it's not just, I think it's hard to stereotype people who may have similar beliefs to Braxton. You know, you could be sitting at church with people that maybe are thinking the same thing as him that you could perceive as in your words, thoughtful or art articulate, and they're, they're still espousing these, these pretty extreme or what most of us would consider abnormal beliefs or extreme. I shouldn't say normal or abnormal, but that's, yeah. that's true. I do want to say, you know, again, this Braxton interview is two hours long. I, I do recommend it to people if you really want to delve into what he believes and like-minded people believe, but I do ask him, where, where do you talk about this? And he says, oh, yes. it's a church in the hallway. You know, the people that believe this. And so you're sharing books and you're exchanging books. And so he essentially says this, we talk about this outside of Sunday school, or, or it's not talked about in just like the basic church lessons. But yeah, there's a bunch of people that go to church and we all, we all believe this and we know who each other are and, and we share these things. And I don't mean to perpetuate the false stereotype that there's an association or correlation between religious belief, spiritual belief, and intelligence. As Jonathan Haidt teaches us um, in The Righteous Mind, sometimes uh, an advanced intellect allows you to employ confirmation bias and uh, reasoning in a way that actually makes belief more likely and makes belief stronger. So there is not, in my view, uh, a meaningful correlation between intelligence and supernatural beliefs. So sorry for, mm -hmm. for phrasing it the way I did. Mm, yeah. Interesting. 
All right, should we go to the next clip? Yes. All right. Okay. That's what I get from all the books. Now, not just these six books. Um, back in the early 2000s, I was really into near-death experiences. And so I went to the library and looked for every book on near-death experience. I didn't want it to be a religious book. I just wanted people to have it. And so I found like literally 20, 30 books. And I read them all about that. And they all kind of said the same thing about evil spirits roaming amongst the earth and entering people and, and feeling the emotions and everything. So when he wrote that, I'm like, yeah, I get that from a lot of people. Now, Chad and Lori, if they wanted to call him a zombie, I guess they're calling him a zombie because an evil spirit entered their body. But they took a right. because uh, in Visions of Glory and other books, it was just for the moment right? The moment of human weakness went like um, one book and I can't, it's escaping my mind, but it was a World War II um, pilot that died and had a vision. He died in the hospital and had a guide and walked around and he went to a bar and watched these evil spirits go through drunk men through the crown of their head and, and, and got to feel the emotions of their body for a moment. So when he said that in visions of glory, I recognized it. So I like that stuff because I believe that stuff too. Okay. A lot of, yeah. okay. And I, and I read it differently. I felt like he was kind of implying that they were trying to stay in the body, that they, you're right. They, they entered the crown of the head. They wanted to feel what this, yeah, but they couldn't stay forever. I guess but they wanted to stay and kind of take over his body. I'm sure they do, and I, and there's book, examples of that happening in the Bible a lot of evil spirits taking over bodies. So let me let me just ask you point blank. Um, minus the term zombies, which I think we both think is ridiculous. Do you believe in 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 an evil spirit being able to take over a good person's body? If that person is allowing them to, yes. And so, how does one allow them to? When you're drunk, yeah, that. Or you're playing with a Ouija board and inviting an evil spirit in and letting it take over your body. I believe that, yes, absolutely. Okay. And Lori believed it. Apparently, but they, yeah, they called it a zombie and, and, uh, I guess the zombie stayed there and they had to do away with the person like her children. Is there any thought in your mind then that that could have happened actually to JJ and Tylee? No, no. And so, I mean, well, what's the difference? What keeps somebody from believing that? Do you know what I mean? Like believing that and then other people like realizing, I mean, I agree with you. I'm like, thank you. Like, no, no. But, but why would Lori believe that? I think the short answer to that is because she wanted to believe it. She wanted to believe it. She wanted to believe Chad was right. And she wanted to believe that this is all for a reason and he's correct. I think she wanted to. Now, let me explain something. When you're a prepper like me and you're preparing for one event, the second coming of the, and then you spend hundreds and thousands of dollars preparing and having a plan and getting your family prepared and your friends prepared and you spend all this time and it consumes you and you do it day after day after day. You're, you are mentally like, I'm prepared. I am ready. There's nothing more I can do. Now I want to be challenged. I want to go through it and do well in it. 
-hmm. And I think Lori was in that position where she talked about it every day. She knew what was going on. She was prepared. Chad told her the future and what was going to happen. She knew it. She had she had a, a key to the future and it was Chad. And he's telling her and she's been preparing and talking about it and telling everybody it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And everybody around her is believing her that it's coming because Chad told me it's coming. She wanted it so bad, so bad she wanted it that at that point, she's like, I, Chad says this and I, and I want it to happen. I want it to happen. So I'm going to go past this envelope, go a little bit more and kind of help it along. I think that was her. Now that's my opinion on it. I don't, yeah. I don't know if she thought that, but that's explains to me how she did this horrific act. I, I value your opinions and, and I understand that you're sharing opinions and thank you. I guess my next question then is if, if she did that and she chose to believe that because of the reasons you suggested, do these beliefs in evil spirits entering bodies become dangerous? What do you mean they become dangerous? What do you mean by that? Well, you seem to have a level head and I say to you, you know, are JJ and were JJ entirely taken over by evil spirits and, and you smirking, you go, absolutely not. You know, no. Of course not. Lori wanted to believe that. But allegedly, she did want to believe that. And that's what she claims happened, whether we believe her or not. Do, so is that belief then, just to have that belief that an evil spirit can enter a good body, uh, if they choose it by sinning, I think is what you're saying, is that a dangerous belief to have? Because not everyone is Braxton. Not everyone is healthy like you and can roll your eyes and be like, of course it didn't enter my child's body. You know, I love my child, but, but can everyone think like, like, is this not an unhealthy belief that we read in visions of glory or these other books? So much to unpack. That's a lot. That was a long clip. I know, but I, I, yeah, I think it was important. Thanks for pulling that. Of course. Super quick. Did he just acknowledge the likelihood that, that Tom Harrison plagiarized another NDE and imported that bar spirits narrative into visions of glory. Did I hear that right? You did yes. hear that right. You did. And, and it instead was... of it being a problem, he described that bug as a feature saying, well, see multiple people are receiving the same revelation. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah. I believe the book I'm, I'm looking down here right now. It's called return from tomorrow. Okay. Oh, that's, um, Betty, is it Betty Eady? Return from oh, Tomorrow I, was a I... psychiatrist, allegedly, uh, George Ritchie, oh. published in 1978. And this person wrote me, said, yes, uh, he enters a bar and then the evil spirits go into the crown of the head. So this person states the exact same wow. thing. And I think we did remark last episode that part of the draw for these books, for a lot of these people is the confirmation bias and the fact that they do agree on a lot of these things, which makes it attractive because it helps them confirm their own biases. So, yeah, they like they love the plagiarizing because it just confirms that it's true, right? If if more than one person is having this vision, they don't see it as plagiarizing; they see it as confirmation. They see it as a second, and third, and fourth, and fifth witness of exactly. the same things being true. I think that's why the websites like Avow where people can go on and share their visions and their dreams and their thoughts 
my family member took that as a confirmation. And in my mind, I'm like, well, one person reads something and then you start thinking about it, kind of like the the pink elephant story, you start thinking about it and then maybe you're going to have a dream about it and then you post about it and then and then somebody says, oh my goodness, two or three or four people, just like you said, have posted the same thing. It's As an outsider, it seems it seems simple what's going on but i think if you're if you're wanting to feel confirmation for yourself that these are real i think if you if you keep maybe seeing different variations but similar themes i think that that would bolster your belief it's validation right couple quick comments if it's okay guy Please. mcdude writes i've been drunk while playing with the ouija board where is my evil spirit <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, the crown of my head is open. <laughs> Come on in. I love <laughs> Who's to say you don't have an evil spirit in you? I think that's right. right. Uh, according, oh. according to Chad, Lori, and, and who knows, maybe Braxton, I don't know. You are evil right now. You are a 5.4 dark. <laughs> Rebecca B., I don't know if this is Rebecca Biblioteca, but she writes, I use Ouija boards for placemats. <laughs> That makes mealtime fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Daisy May, I agree with this. She says Lauren is such a good interviewer. Yes, you are. 100%. Lauren is a good interviewer. Amen to that. I can attest. Um, I, th I think so many of her, this isn't a one-off, this interview with Braxton. Like she has had the opportunity to interview many, many people in this in this group or these types of groups. And I've always been impressed, Lauren, that you that you're able to be so professional and validating, yet you ask good questions. And I think that you allow people to open up and feel safe. And I think that's really important. I think it was evident in this in this interview with Braxton. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, uh, lots of people saying, please like this episode. Please subscribe to these channels because it helps with the algorithms. It basically helps YouTube promote it. So thank you for reminding us. Really quickly, somebody writes... Um, he's kind of emotionless about the kids. I don't, I don't like to pick on people. It's just somebody's comment. He is. Any, any he was, he was throughout the whole interview. So I can concur. Mm. I felt that way. Okay. Yeah. Any other reactions about, oh, I guess he's family. Megan's <laughs> over there being no, quiet. No, you're, you're absolutely and, right. And I don't and like to put family against family. So I'm not trying no, to do it's, that. And, and it's not, look, I don't, I don't harbor ill will towards my family members, but I think it is important to point out, I, I think it's part of the family culture to minimize tragedy and to minimize difficult things. Um, and that's part of the reason why we don't talk about things and we don't really hold people accountable in, in good, healthy ways. And so, yeah, it's it's part of the family culture, unfortunately. And it's fair you asked her because I asked Braxton what he thought of Megan on his interview. So now, <laughs> now we've come full circle. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really quickly, we've got a running theme here. Debbie writes, I need to make that placemat theme my Thanksgiving <laughs> table. Uh, thanks for that. And then I don't know if there's an answer to this, but Kelly asks, Kelly Contrell asks if Lori was excommunicated. I've always just assumed she had been. I can't imagine her not being excommunicated, but that is a rumor. And I think it's because we we receive confirmation with Chad's Chad, excommunication yes. because mm -hmm. uh, the stake president's letter was leaked and posted. And that hasn't happened with Lori Vallow. Thus, there's this mystery. I don't know if you know anything, Megan. I've just always assumed she, she has been because I can't imagine her yeah. not being excommunicated at this point. 
Yeah, it would be it would be a stretch. Um, although it's, I suppose it's possible that um, mental health concerns might be at play there somewhere. I don't know if if bishops and stake presidents take that into consideration, but I do know that her bishop was visiting her while she was in Rexburg, um, but pr- prior to the trial. Um, I don't know if that's still going on right now or not. So yeah. I have I mean, she's it. the only one that's been convicted now at this point. She has been convicted of of murdering JJ Tiley and and conspiring to kill Tammy Daybell, three consecutive life sentences. I just, you know, maybe she slipped through the cracks, but I have a hard time believing with the amount of attention that trial brought that yeah, she scrutiny. wouldn't be. Yeah. So I, I assume she is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'd also be surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that that it hasn't been publicized in any way. I know, either. right? We're you the know. leaks. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Someone send that. <laughs> Hidden true crime at gmail.com. And again, it's a quick word from our sponsor. Hidden Gems, it's Lauren and Minnie have been asking where I shop. And so I am finally coming clean with my wardrobe hack. I rent most of the clothes I wear. I love having new clothes each month and I dislike doing laundry. So renting from Armoire is a win-win. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you build the perfect wardrobe with high quality brands just for you. You take the five-minute style quiz and select items from your personalized closet delivered straight to your door in as little as two days. And then when you're ready for new clothes and ready for someone else to do your laundry, you just swap them out for fresh styles. Armoire allows me to always have the perfect outfit, and then I send it back for more. Right now, our gems can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash hidden true crime. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash hidden true crime to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. It's not like the Mormon church can't and hasn't advertised disciplinary councils or excommunications. It has Sam Young, me. Um, it's talked about the Bundys. It's talked about lot, lots of people. So the church absolutely could just dispel all doubt. And uh, I, I can I, I hear that it's because they want to respect the confidentiality of the people involved. But when these people have followings, and again, they did it with Tim Ballard. So, like, which is it? You're respecting the confidentiality and the privacy? Or when somebody presents a public threat, you're going to mention them. So I, I wish we didn't have to guess, is what I'm saying. You would think that with as much publicity as this trial got, that the church would want to publicize that they've excommunicated her, that this is not a part of our religion. Yeah. I think, though, that they're going with the trend of not mentioning her. They, they've wanted to be completely mute oh, about her. They don't want to bring PR. They don't want to bring yeah. PR. With, with Tim Ballard, they had a relationship. <clears throat> they promoted him. They had no choice but to say... You know, to, to yeah, the PR aspect with with Chad and Lori Daybell, um, and I am s- upset about this. I've been very public about how upset I am about this, but they have never commented, never mentioned it. I've always said we have nothing to do with this case. Um, I have my opinions about that, but I think that's probably why they're never going to announce or excommunication because they've completely washed their hands of wiped their hands of this. Okay. All right. Uh, any other comments about Brexit or should we move on, Mindy? Let's move on. Okay, let's do it. So there were a lot of, there's a lot of speculation during the Lori and Chad uh, trial, or Lori's only been on trial, but during the case as to whether or not, do they really believe this? Do they believe it? Or is it just a ruse to 
get rid of their children and, and spouses and collect insurance money and, and, and go off. And so, and I think that's something that, that we have all talked about. Um, I've landed on where I, th- that I do believe that they, that they truly believed that the things that they were saying, I think that Chad and Lori both believed it. And a confirmation of that for me was when Lori, after she um, received her convictions, she had her sentencing hearing and it had been years since we had heard anything from Lori from her mouth, like during the entire trial, other than maybe one word answers, she, she didn't, she never spoke. And so it was, you know, we didn't know what she was thinking or if she had had regrets about what had happened to Tylee and JJ and Charles and Tammy. And so I think we were all kind of on the edge of our seats when she chose to spoke at her sentencing. And we decided to play this whole clip Many of the viewers might have seen this already, but I think it illustrates where Lori's mindset is still. And, you know, I want to say I'm looking forward to hearing this again, because uh, after everything we've talked about, I'm, I'm going to be listening with new ears. So even if even if people have heard this, I, I think, in you know, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's roll the clip. I would like to start by quoting John from the New Testament in the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 7, Jesus says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast first cast a stone at her. Then in verse 15, Jesus says, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. Jesus knows me. And Jesus understands me. I mourn with all of you who mourn my children and Tammy. Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. Jesus Christ knows that no one was murdered in this case. Accidental deaths happen. Suicides happen. Fatal side effects from medications happen. I have a different perspective in life because in 2002, when I was pregnant with Tylee, I died in the hospital while in labor with her. They tried to stop my labor. They put me on the table and they put something in my IV and I felt my spirit falling to the floor. I was standing near my pregnant body, watching the doctors try to revive me, which took them a few minutes. In that time, my sister Stacy was standing to my left. I turned to hug her and was surprised that her spirit was as tangible as a physical body because I knew I was in spirit and she was in spirit. She said she needed to show me some things and we went to heaven. I later returned to my body. Because of this experience, I have access to heaven and the spirit world. Since then, I have had many communications from people now living in heaven, including my children, Tylee Ashland and Joshua Jackson, my sisters, Stacy and Lolly, my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. I have had many communications with Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world, and our heavenly parents. 
I've had many angelic visitors have come and communicated with me and even manifested themselves to me. Because of these communications, I know for a fact that my children are happy and busy in the spirit world. Because of my communications with my friend, Tammy Daybell, I know that she is also very happy and extremely busy. I have always mourned the loss of my loved ones, and I have lost many in this mortal world. However, I know that more than most people, I know where they are now and what they're doing. I know how wonderful heaven is, and I'm homesick for it every single day. I know we all lived in heaven before we were born on earth, and we were all adult spirits in the heavenly realm. We chose to come to earth as mortals. Heaven is more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. I do not fear death, but I look forward to it. I, do not, I did not want to return to my body when I was out of it. Even though my son Colby, who I adored more than anything, was only six years old at the time, and I was about to give birth to this new baby girl that I wanted so badly. I was a young mother and you would think I wouldn't want to leave my children, but as I stood in heaven, I did not want to go back. I thought they would be fine without me because I was peaceful and I was happy and I was home. But then I was told by Jesus that I needed to go back and complete things that I had covenanted or promised to do before I was born. This caused me a lot of distress because I knew heaven was my real home and I only wanted to be there. I was free from pain, emotional and physical. But then I was shown how I would help my children and others in the future. So ultimately I did agree to go back to my body. Kylie has visited me. She is happy and very busy. Tylee is free now from all the pains of her life. Tylee suffered horrible physical pain her whole life. I sat with Tylee in the hospital year after year after year while she screamed in pain when the morphine wasn't even enough to take away the pain of her pancreatitis. I sat there while she cried and I held back her hair while she threw up and I am the only person on this earth who knows how much Tylee suffered in her life. She had pain every single day. She never felt good. Her body did not work right. And I don't know if that was from complications from me dying while she was being born or something else, but she had a very difficult life. She was sexually abused by her own biological father since she was three years old and she was forced by family court to go visit him for 10 years against her will. I fought for her in court. I protected her. I tried to protect her with my whole life. I tried to protect her. I worried about her every single day. Tylee had to get her GED because she couldn't go to school every day because she never felt good. She felt sick. Nobody knows this because Tylee, like myself, tries to put on a good front, tries to be a happy person, 
tries to have hope in life, tries to know that she's here for a purpose and that she has an eternal purpose to be on this earth. But I never stopped worrying about her. One of the times that Tylee came to me as a spirit after she died, she said, she commanded me and she said to me, stop worrying, mom, we are fine. She knows how I worry and how I miss her. The first time JJ visited me after he passed away, he put his arm around me and he said to me, you didn't do anything wrong, mom. I love you. And I know you loved me every minute of my life. JJ, Joshua Jackson, was an adult spirit. And he was very, very tall when he put his arm around me. He is busy. He is engaged. He has jobs that he does there. And he is happy where he is. His life was short, but JJ's life was meaningful. JJ was a wonderful person and touched the lives of everyone. And I adored him every minute of his life. My eternal friend, Tammy Daybell, has visited me on several occasions. She came to bring me peace and comfort, and I know that she is extremely busy helping her family, especially her children and grandchildren, and I have a great love for Tammy. My beautiful children, Tylee Ashlyn and Joshua Jackson, Rest safely this day in the arms of Jesus. My wonderful friend, Tammy Daybell, rests safely this day in the arms of Jesus. And I look forward to the day when we are all reunited and I too will rest with them in the arms of my Jesus. Wow. A there's so much there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's obviously, well, well, let me start. Megan, do you want to start? Um, I just, I'm remembering all of the feelings that came up for me the first time that I heard this um, statement from Lori. And there is, there's a, there's a lot to unpack. I just have to say, like, overwhelmingly, the first emotion that overrides everything else is just anger. You know, there just is, there's so much there. But this was definitely a moment for me where I, I, I just don't, I don't recognize that person. I don't know who that is. You know, that, that is not, that's not my cousin. That's not Lori. Um, it's, it's sad and it's tragic. And I, I just, I hate that she refers to Tyler and JJ in the present tense. I hate that she refers to Tammy as her friend. I hate that she, you know, dares us to cast a stone at her when, you know, none of us that I know of are, are murderers. It's just, um, unbelievable to me but but i did really appreciate judge boyce's comments after this where he said that she went down a religious rabbit hole and she's obviously still there and i think that's the best way to encapsulate that that entire statement um i mean people are going to be really busy in heaven we learned that everyone's busy <laughs> yeah we learned what they're up to everyone's busy I, I do think busy. that's a mormon thing mm -hmm. everyone's mm -hmm. busy i mean everyone has a purpose is what i think mm -hmm. that means Everyone still matters. Everything is continues on. Um, yeah, I want to point out, yeah, it's a very difficult listen. I, I do want to point out, I think one of the most shocking things when I was listening 
to it. And oddly, I went to Rexburg for it. And then I ended up watching it from my hotel room because people were camping out the night before and everyone wanted to see. It. And I realized I'd have a better seat in the hotel room. So I remember watching it and uh, my jaw dropped. I remember when she kept referring to her dear friend, Tammy Daybell. If you, if you realize that she was the mistress in this relationship, you know, she was she was having an affair with Chad while he was married to Tammy. And then Tammy was murdered because Chad wanted to be with his mistress. It's just sort of this jaw-dropping moment. But but then I think this is really important to point out. I, you know, she refers to her as an eternal friend at one point. And I do think there was this idea of spiritual polygamy. And I want to bring that up because that hits on the, the Daybell case, it hits on the Tim Ballard, what the Tim Ballard victims are saying. Um and, you know, I, I, I think that that might be a hint into her thinking that she's like almost like a sister wife with Tammy Daybell referring to her as an eternal friend. Um, it's, it's bizarre. And yeah, I, you know, I can't even, I just, I can't even listen to her talk about loving her children. That makes me just want to. But but I think the one thing we can learn is, and I think it's what we've all kind of known, we knew throughout the trial, like she believes this still. She believes this. This is what her defense kept hinting at. She still believes this. And so if there was any doubt, um, I, here you go. One thing that was surprising to me that I don't believe we'd ever heard before was that she had, that she died when, when she was giving birth to Tylee. So now experience. she's claiming her own near-death experience where she was given some medicine in her IV and she left her body and I just found that interesting and convenient that she was able to tell that story at this point to claim that she, you know, maybe this is her equivalent to like a ripped veil, you know, so that's what's allowing her to visit with the spirit version of Tylee and JJ. And she mentioned others and Tammy. When I watched that the first time, like my heart pounded watching it just now, and I've watched that several times because I think it brought back the emotions, like flames, flames going out of my head, just in anger, especially about Tammy, just that she was, as Lori said, or as Lauren said, I'm so sorry. I've called you okay. Lori twice. We're I'm talking so about Lori. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Lauren Matthias said, um, <clears throat> you know, said that you know, Lori Vallow is the mistress and and was involved in this plot to to eliminate Tammy for the convenience of their, you know, adulterous affair. And oh, I just thought that was incredibly insensitive. And I I just my heart just went to um all of the victims and their um and their families, but particularly um Tammy's family that that day I just felt tender for her to have the audacity to call Tammy her dear eternal friend. Um, that was just gross, and that was offensive to me. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up the near-death experience, because you're right, that was the point of that statement, and then it was at the beginning, and then it right. kept, continued. Right. Uh, what that, that matters so much, because that's what we're discussing, is this group of like-minded preppers, those that have the most power have the near-death experiences, and the near-death experiences do something to them that not only do they have a vision, during their near-death near experience, they come back with sort of this ripped, torn veil, or they can see things that others cannot see. They become more prophetic at that moment. And so it just seems like the moment someone claims that near-death experience, that's that's when they become, 
yeah, a more prophetic voice in this community that we're seeing of these near-death experience, visionary, uh, second-coming preppers. I think John mentioned earlier, it's like a big power grab, right? Is that how mm-hmm. you described it? Mm-hmm. Just as an automatic way to gain power and to gain have people listen to you yeah. trust, and trust your opinion. Yeah, and that where does that idea come from? Visions of glory, he just talks about as soon as you have that NDE, you start to have visions. You start to be able to have extrasensory powers. Maybe your body transforms into something immortal over time. You can walk through portals. You can pick up a toothbrush and see the universe expanded across <laughs> time and memorial. And and I'm I'm glad you guys uh, shared all the beautiful things and the heartbreak you all shared about how sad and outrageous this testimony was i do want to just drive it a little bit more home how much of this comes from tom harrison you know megan you just said that that wasn't your cousin right Uh, we've tried to cover on mormon stories podcast you know the impact of high demand religions or cults we brought on stephen hassan and this isn't me calling the LDS church a cult. Certainly you're probably okay with me calling um, this sort of prepper theology cultish. If you're an Orthodox Mormon, hopefully you're okay with that. Uh, but but what, what we learn about cults is that one of the things cults do is they indoctrinate you into assuming the cult personality. It's an identity change. It's a personality change. And so what changed Lori's personality? Now, I'm not saying she was without responsibility. I'm not saying she wasn't an adult. I'm not trying to take away that. But she's clearly under the trance or the spell of a series of teachings. And so I wrote down a bunch of the things I heard. And I just want, if you all don't mind, will you audibly confirm whether these are principles taught in Visions of glory. Is that okay? Yes, sure. So this idea of Jesus knowing and understanding us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Okay. Jesus knowing the truth of what happened. It's almost like she's saying we had to do something that y'all wouldn't understand with the kids. Correct. But Jesus understands it. Correct. Yep. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Um, how about this idea of near-death experiences. You've already talked about that. Obviously, that's central. How about being in spirit with her sister and the handshakes or the hugs or whatever? Just that whole idea of spiritual communion, spirit to spirit. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah? Visions of glory. how um, How about being able to communicate with children, sisters, Jesus, heavenly parents, dead people, ancestors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very visions of glory. Okay. Angelic visitors. Very yes. visions of glory. 100%. Okay. How about knowing that Tammy is happy and busy and that JJ and Tylee are happy and busy and satisfied? Visions of yep. glory. Yeah. Um the the idea that that JJ was an adult spirit you know that's visions of glory and that yeah. is so visions of glory let me just say that that every single person that once they become a translated being they hit about age 30 according to tom harrison's vision so some people become younger children grow up and you hit that age and so jj being and, tall is being a translated resurrected being that is I, so visions of glory and i was taught that growing up that's yeah. mormon doctrine mm-hmm. and theology you know pretty much a lot of this is yeah it's more fundamentalist 
And that's why we call it neo-fundamentalist, because they're trying to bring back the doctrine that the church has tried to distance its, itself from. How about this idea that death is death is not a bad thing? Death is great. Death, yeah. death is. I look forward to it. Yeah. Is that, well, is that in Visions of Glory? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go a little bit further than just death is great. Death is sometimes mandatory when you can't deliver people from an evil spirit mm -hmm. and you can act as God and take their life from them. Yeah. That is Visions of Glory and yeah. that is what happened here. And, and we that's played what that clip yes. last, last episode. In the right? last mm -hmm. episode, we played that very damning, shocking clip. And that is what Lori did to her children. Now she's saying, now she's saying um, this happened because they needed to move on. Yeah. And they're happy. It they there's definitely them. a sense that like we did we did them a favor. You know yes, that they we did yeah, a that, favor. That it was it was merciful. Correct. That we Braxton implies that too in his right. interview with me. He said he states that he thinks that Lori he said he said to me, Would you want your kids to live through the second coming? It's gonna be terrible. I said, Well well no. He goes, Well, neither did Lori. So yeah. yeah. She delivered them. She 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 was she she helped them. Yeah. It, I'll just summarize. It's almost as if Tom Harrison wrote that talk for her. Yes. I mean, it, in my mind, it, it's his theology. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's a summary of almost everything that was in Visions of Glory. Yeah. So th that's what's happened to your cousin. That's what's happened to her personality. She's been taken over by a mind virus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah, and I, I do I do want to definitely make sure that we say at no point ever in the history of Lori Noreen Cox did she ever say she had a near-death experience. Summer confirmed that. Adam confirmed that. Her living siblings both said that never happened. And I can guarantee you that if that had happened, she would have shouted it from the rooftops. It, that would have been a theme of discussion in our family forever till the end of time, if that had actually <laughs> happened. And I mean, you're laughing, but I'm not kidding. I like, believe, I mean, I'm laughing because I believe you. hundred percent. And then what probably would have happened after that is that Barry probably would have co-opted and made it his own and then talked that talked like it was his, you know, because he was the spiritual giant, you know. So Pontificated on it. Yeah. So it just, you know, it's important to say that she never talked about that before, even when she was reading the book and even when she was telling you know, her brother Adam that she was a translated being and she didn't need to eat anymore. And, you know, even after she met Chad and she had never said anything about a near-death experience before. Yeah. And just, I, I think beliefs have consequences. You know? They do. 100%. <clears throat> yeah. They do. Yeah. We're looking at it in that, I, in that video, that clip. Yeah. 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 I also just briefly want to say too that it's very telling where her psyche and her emotions are that almost the, the last thing that she talks about is is being absolved of guilt by the very people who she harmed. JJ told her not she didn't do anything wrong. Don't worry about me, Tylee Mom. said, don't I worry about you. me. Tammy gave her approval. You know, it, it was, you know, Lori has to believe that she was not complicit, that she was she didn't have any responsibility in this because how how do you wrap your mind around that otherwise. Well, according to Visions of Glory, she doesn't have any exactly. responsibility. Mm -hmm. exactly. So if she's following that theology, she's good as gold. Yeah. All right, Mindy. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, I, I want to move on to Eternal Core. Are we? Do you have anything yeah. else to say about Chad and Lori? <laughs> I think we covered it well. I think uh, we made the case. <laughs> I think we made the case. All right. Okay, moving on. Uh, 
the next point we want to talk about is Eternal Core. And Eternal Core, the logo is here on your screen, Eternal Core, Exploring God-Centric Mental Health. And this was um, founded by Tom Harrison. I believe it was also co-founded by, by his friend, Ken Krogh. And we can talk about we can talk about Ken in a minute. Um, they would do podcasts together. They would they put on at least one conference. I think maybe two. Um, and then they you can find their videos on YouTube under Eternal Core. And, th and at this point, I want to give a shout out to two redditors that I drew heavily from for this part of the podcast: Chino Blanco on Reddit and Devil's Ravioli. Thank you for your great work in compiling some of this information. It was very helpful. That, those were impressive. Yeah. Connecting the dots. Yes. Okay. So let's look at the, let's look at the, um, the photo of the group photo, John from Eternal Core. We talked about a few of these before. So we have Tom Harrison in the center. And then to the left, we have Tim Ballard. And then to the far right on the center, we have Jody Hildebrandt. And there are some other notables in this, in this photo on the top row, there's Alema Harrington. He's a local, um, sports caster news person um i believe on the on the top on the on the end with the blonde hair top left is jessica mass from operation underground railroad and then down below uh, on the on the bottom far left is kenneth cope and some people might know him as as a pretty popular lds singer and songwriter i'm not sure if he spoke but he, i think he did some musical numbers at the concert or excuse me, at the conference. And then just below, um, below Ken, or excuse me, below Tom Harrison on the slight left, his name is Tyler Schwab, and he's also an employee of OUR, of Operation Underground Railroad, and he works in their aftercare. And then there, there's other people, but those are just the connections um, that I was able to make. Oh, just to the right of Tom Harrison is, is a gentleman named Clay Olson, and he is he is behind the fight the new drug campaign which um has been very popular in utah which is talking about teaching um teens about pornography usage so if there's anyone I, in the comments, I, somebody messaged me and told me that the founder of lifestar is also amongst uh these photos oh and really i'm searching for it but i think they may have withdrawn their message maybe out of fear or maybe mm -hmm. i just can't find it but do you want to tell us what tell everyone what lifestar is yeah lifestar is just this network of sort of approved faithful orthodox lds therapists that bishops would refer their members to and in many instances pay for that therapy so as i understand it jody hildebrandt for example sort of owned a lifestar franchise along the wasatch front and Correct. that's how so mm -hmm. many mormon bishops would channel clients to jody and pay for the therapy that that was received so and and lifestar's focus was on quote sex addiction um and and it was basically treating normative um masturbation and um problematic pornography viewing is that yeah, yeah. accurate that's okay. right do you want to play the video clip that that shows um Tom Harrison talking about some of his methods of and this is at the therapy. this is at that conference yes yeah okay the eternal at core the conference. Eternal, one of the eternal core conferences okay all right this is a uh, Tom therapist Tom Harrison now 
numerous times in my 41 years of practice, I had a patient come through the door and I had a plan already of what I was going to do and that voice said, stop, don't do that, do this. And that glorious ancestor or that glorious grandmother or that glorious individual who loves that person enough to make their way to my office said, stop it, Tom, that's not what they need. Do this instead. And when I did it, miracles happened. And I, I saw that clip on Reddit. And as someone with a PhD in psychology, I've been trained, you know, was trained for six years, super duper unethical, like any licensing board worth its salt would suspend his license for admitting that he basically performs religious, psychic based, informed psychotherapeutic interventions, where he basically in his imagination channels the dead loved ones of his clients and lets them dictate what the psychotherapeutic treatment should be super unethical and outrageous. Yeah. Channeling ancestors, big part of his book, big part of Lori mm -hmm. sentencing speech. We heard, I mean, just full circle. That's the channeling ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. But to know this guy's leading Mormon therapy conferences, that he was that as, as he claims he consulted mormon church general authorities for decades supposedly as an expert on child abuse so deeply disturbing that that the church uh used this guy as a consultant again deciding what missionary shouldn't shouldn't be serving is, right now is he's right currently. now at this moment so is he deciding this through their ancestors or is he deciding this through case studies in science yeah I don't know. Yeah. I think many of us that have been thinking about this case and about Tom currently, separate from the book, but currently just in his current uh, therapeutic practice, I think we've wondered what what kind of a therapist has he been? You know, do we have stories out there about, you know, what kind of, if, if he's if he's done things like this that we just saw in the video where he's is he telling his patients that he's channeling their dead ancestors to to help them? Um, is he acting professionally? Um, and then we we have something that Lauren would like to share that somebody that that um, counseled with Tom reached out to Lauren. Yes, I've now talked to a few patients of Tom Harrison. I think that this one. Uh, this woman's experiences, she's told me that as long as I keep her anonymous at this moment, she 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 is considering coming forward later with her name. Um, but she's told me I can share a few things. I'm not even going to share all of the things she's allowed me to share. I'm going to share some things that I find really important. So this is a patient of Tom Harrison for years. She started seeing Tom Harrison. And, and I want to say that I have vetted this individual. I, I know who they are. Um, they're vetted. In other words, you find them to be credible. I find them to be very credible. This is a very credible source, and yes. And I'm just going to say, for legal reasons, that these are allegations. We're not saying that they're true, but we're sharing them with every good reason to believe they could be. 
Correct. Yeah. This is a, I wouldn't just share any source as a credible source. This is a person that was a patient of Tom Harrison's for um, years. I have seen text exchange between them, if that means anything to anyone too. So, um, so these are the points that I want to share today that she's allowing me to share. She, she started seeing him as a young adult. Tom referred to me and others, including someone close to me as having light and dark energy or being light and dark spirits. Um, that is, I just need to repeat, that is Chad Daybell's rating scale. And we'll get into Tim Ballard there, but I've also heard that, that Tom Harrison would help OUR know who was light and who was dark in the organization as a whole. So that, that, that goes with what else I'm hearing too. So Tom referred to me and others, including someone close to me, as having light or dark energy or being light and dark spirits. He violated many boundaries in therapy, including those I told you about, uh, specifically taking me to a temple as a young adult um, and considered me, he told me there in the temple that I was one of his eternal wives. Uh, truthfully, so much of it was about spiritual connection and eternal marriage. And he frequently spoke of alternative, mostly not included in mainstream LDS doctrine practices, beliefs, and ideas about the pre-existence, eternal polygamy, relationships with people in other states of existence, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's not all she told me I could share, but I think that's what matters right now is we're seeing a pattern in these beliefs that are are being shared and and taught and even now entering into therapy with his patients. Hmm. One really quick, uh, I found the text that I was referring to previously. I'm going to jump back to that life star or sorry, to the eternal core conference slide. And this is what uh, a source writes. I'm pretty sure the second man from the left on the top row is one of the founders of Lifestar. Uh, Dan Gray is the name that uh, this person is providing. This person says, I worked for Lifestar in Rexburg for a while. Nuts. Thankfully, I came to my senses. Thank you for your amazing work. So that's another name. Okay. Dan Gray. Uh, Allegedly. We don't know if that's (laughs) true. But Mindy, where do we go next? Yeah, I think to... To follow up on on some of Tom's patients and their experience that they've had with him, thank you, Lauren, for sharing for sharing that from your source. Um, I did want to talk about Ken Krogh. Uh, he is he is a friend of Tom, and he helped to f- found um, the Eternal Core, um, exploring God centric mental health brand. So, a little bit of background on Ken. He he is a, a wealthy um, businessman who, who um, unfortunately uh, was in a terrible automobile accident. Um, and he, he says that after his automobile accident, he really began, began to change his behavior where he was um, just saying inappropriate things and um, feeling tempted by pornography and some other things. Uh, which he said he previously, that was new for him. That wasn't something that he had dealt with before, and he was very distressed about it. He claims to have heard Tom Harrison's voice at some point um, 
he, I, I don't recall if he said it was in a dream or a vision or something, but he just, he remembers hearing Tom's voice and he was talking to his friend, Rod Meldrum, who you have, um, interviewed on uh, this podcast stories, yeah. and rod is behind the um book of mormon evidence and the um, firm expo, and the firm expo. that i attended we'll yes, get to that and, later but yeah, yeah he's important rod meldrum lauren will talk about that later so rod tells tom you need or excuse me tells ken you need to talk to my friend tom and so this next clip is um where tom where ken talks about how he was introduced to tom and how tom helped him with this problem all right, let's roll the clip. I had been middle, in the middle of this conflict between different groups of Latter-day Saints debating over things like, where did the Book of Mormon happen? And why is this? Why is that? And I had been in the middle of it thinking, okay, I'm supposed to help 54,000 young people learn how to use social media. And... If they get in the middle of these discussions, it's going to be worse than if we didn't even bring it up. I went back into my journal of a few weeks before the accident, and I had written down, I don't know what to do. I can't figure out who's right. Heavenly Father, Bless me with an open mind. Be really careful what you ask for. I was meeting with Tom. I said, Tom, why do I? And before I could say, he said, Ken, why do I feel like I know you? I said, Tom, why do I know your voice? Tom's got a pretty distinctive voice. He said, I don't know, but let's talk about it next week. And I said, and why am I having these crazy urges and temptations and appetites? I can't even slow them down. He says, well, let's talk next week. By the way, Tom excuses himself and goes to the restroom quite often. What I've learned is he's really going to turn to Father and ask, how do I help this person? Linda, you've got an amazing husband. So I came back, and he said, Ken, I need to ask you, what's your calling in the LDS church? I'm like, why are you asking me that? What does that have to do with anything? No, just humor me. I said, well, two and a half weeks before this accident, I was asked to be the head of social media ministering for the young single adults in Utah County, 30 stakes, 54,000 of them. And he said, what's their greatest challenge? I said, without question, it's pornography. I said, oh. He said, Ken, you can't help what you don't know. And within a month, it was gone. It was utterly, completely, totally gone. And Tom was like my personal Obi-Wan. 
but it wasn't him. And he says it. He says he turned me to the forest. He turned me upstairs to the Lord. And ever since then, I'm really careful about asking for an open mind or anything else. So I think he's implying that he asked for an open mind. He has this new calling as the director of social media ministering over 54,000 young single adults. And then after his accident, he develops this unusual urge to view pornography. And then Tom counsels him that you can't teach what you don't know. So for, to me, that was implying that God gave him the urge to yeah, to look at pornography. I, am I am I reaching here? Is that no, kind of what you're no. what everyone else got from that? It was a very roundabout way to kind of um, to get to that point. But I think that's what he was implying that he asked for an open mind. He had this urge, and then and then he claims that that Tom helped him through that, and that he didn't have that temptation anymore. I'm mainly offended by the abuse of the Star Wars clip. I mean, that's <laughs> clearly out of bounds for someone like that to be referencing the Star Wars canon. I thought the Obi-Wan was interesting because I think, isn't that a, you know, it's that's a mentor, right? That's like a guru. Um, yeah, a guru. Mm -hmm. It's sort of what I think we're concerned about, that he is sort of a self-proclaimed guru on so many things. He's a born whisperer. <laughs> you say the porn whisper. <laughs> oh goodness! I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just befuddled by how the Mormon Church decides who should be leaders in the community, right? Yeah. Like somebody sarcastically wrote, "This is uh, James Morgan." He writes, "He seems like a logical candidate to supervise young people on social media." LOL. <laughs> um, but. But kind of more seriously, my friend Allison, um, hey Allison, she writes, it's like going to your abuser for treatment of your abuse. Trauma on religious trauma, that is perpetually having fuel thrown on it. I have no idea if what I just said made sense, but it makes sense in my head. Like, like the church creates the problem and then it presents itself as the solution to the problem it's creating. And then it's putting forward completely inappropriate, unethical people as the leaders to resolve the problem. And they're part of making the problem worse and worse. I don't know. I'm. A, we call this the poison and the cure. Yeah. I think some people might take offense to calling the church poison, but I feel like it's fair in this situation where, or that's like they gave you the illness and then treatment for the illness but it's just this never-ending cycle right what's hard is that the, the the whole reason natasha helfer started the mormon mental health association is because there are faithful active competent mormon mental health professionals that abide by their ethics correct and use science evidence-based practice to do treatment so these people exist as active faithful believing mormons but the, for some reason the church doesn't want them being the ones that lead these initiatives or are the mentors? Why are they picking these sketchy yeah. people? Or deciding again who what missionaries are okay to go on mission mental health wise. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And can we talk about him excusing himself during therapy sessions? 
several times to use the bathroom when and then he claims that he's praying or like the previous clip that you showed that he was calling on like ancestors that yeah. seems abnormal for yeah, your therapist to excuse themselves i don't even know what to say i have no comment to, to that because <laughs> yeah. it's like i don't even know what to say that right. it was very odd so, so yeah. bizarre and then just really quickly, I'll just say running around, roaming around, Google Don Gray Lifestar images, and that same photo came up. So it is Don Gray. Is it Dan or Don? I think it's Dan. Dan Gray. Dan Gray. Oh, on the image. Before. On that image. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Mindy. All right. So um, the Eternal Core conference, we're kind of carrying on with the, the people that we saw, a few of the people that we saw in that photo. And so next, we're going to talk about Jody Hildebrandt. And Jody has been covered heavily over the last, how long has it been? Month, month and a half since the story broke with um, Ruby Frankie, Eight Passengers. Um, Jody Hildebrandt um, is a Mormon therapist who um, John has interviewed. Uh, Jesse Hildebrandt, who is um, Jody's niece, and... Um, also, Adam Steed had an extensive interview where he was a patient of Jody's and had a lot of damage um, from her therapies. And I want to say this: your interview with Adam Steed was taken down, but ours is up. So yeah, oh, that's a good they didn't point. send you as no, a, a, ours is up. So, so you can see Adam Steed on Hidden True. Well, not see him, but hear him on that in Hidden True Crime. We have two parts there. But, but yeah, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I just, no, it's fine. I'm glad you mentioned that, so people can go to your. To hidden true crime and see your interview with Adam Steed. That's important. Uh, Jody is also behind um, some of these porn addiction programs that we've been talking about. But she has been arrested because um, two of Ruby Frankie, uh, Ruby and Kevin Frankie's minor children, were found at Jody Hildebrandt's home in Ivins, Utah, um, and had been abused and malnourished and mistreated, and they escaped. Um, Jody Hildebrandt's home and ran to a neighbor, and um, subsequently Jody, Jody and Ruby were both arrested and are still currently in jail. Right? Do we have any yes. updates on on the, what's going on with their legal? Um, I I, haven't the, I believe there that. was a hearing today, but okay. but I've been here today. But but as of last night, yeah, there there was some interesting news. But let okay. me just say, as far as Jody, yeah, the the children were in her care. They were tied up. They were bound with duct tape. They were tied. They had lacerations and wounds that were so deep that, you know, it brought tears to the people looking at these children. They were so skinny. They could tell they'd been starved. This was, this is no joke child abuse. What's also heartbreaking is Jesse came on Mormon Stories to pretty much share. She went through the exact same thing. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Jesse came on to share that they went through the exact same thing. And, and so, 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 so she is behind bars and this is just horrendous, horrendous abuse. It just made national international news. Um, Thank you for your coverage, John, with what Mormon stories has done with this, this horrendous story. But yes. So, so Jody Hildebrandt. And Jody presented at the eternal core conference in 2019. Uh, The topic of her main address was called how, how to choose personal responsibility to heal the human soul. That was her. She bluntly tells her clients, she admits in her presentation that she bluntly tells her clients that they are responsible for their depression. She claims to be able to discern if people are connected or disconnected or 
in truth or distortion is how she describes it, just by looking at them. So that's a theme that we've heard all day long. How many times do we hear Tom Harrison say in his book, um, I just knew everything about the person just by, you know, immediately looking at them. By picking up their hairbrush. (laughs) Yeah, it's just this theme. Um, Okay, so let's let's look at the next oh just not a surprise if you uh if you followed any of the um jody hildebrandt coverage but she talks about these these concepts of that she's developed um called distortion and truth and connection oh her her brand is called connections with an x c-o-n-n-e-x-i-o-n-s and she talks about these concepts just constantly it just seems like she's constantly bringing those up um and she claims that distortion is the root of um root cause of anxiety and depression which i think is um harmful when you're dealing with mental health treatment extremely harmful um okay so this next video clip is from a panel that Tom and Tom Harrison and Jody Hildebrandt um, are on together during the Eternal Core Conference of 2019. This this normal that we all experience involves hard, just involves hard. So, uh, you know, many of us have had experiences just today that have been hard and uncomfortable, and that's what's normal. And what we have to remember is that that's a part of this life experience. It's what creates your character. It's what creates the stretching and the growing and the developing is if you'll stay in heart. And this is where we need each other. This is where we need connection. You know, you're my new friend, Tom. And I want to be able to call Tom when I'm in hard and say, Tom, I'm in heart. And Tom, because he knows how to validate, Tom's going to say, Jody, tell me about it. And I'm going to tell him what the heart is. And then he's going to say, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Or I understand, or I was there yesterday, or you can do it. He's going to validate me. And inside that validation, I feel the connection. And so then all of a sudden, my hard becomes less hard. It doesn't mean that it goes away. And I don't need to stay in this place of, oh, I'm anxious or I'm depressed. That's like a state of being. It's like a death sentence to stay in those two states. Instead, I call and I get some validation. And then Tom says to me, hey, Jody, you ready? You ready to hear your part in what's hard about this? And then because he loves me, he says, here's your part. You're responsible for. You're in distortion. You're saying to yourself, I can't do this. This is impossible. This shouldn't have happened. How dare they? He points that out to me. And then I can use my agency and say, okay, I choose to go into truth. And I'll tell you, it is instant that you come back into this very powerful connection. And I thank him. Like, thank you for telling me the truth, Tom. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're working towards. Normal is hard. Hard is normal. And that's what eternal core is. Eternal core is moving the whole field of psychology and psychiatry and social work and mental health marriage and family counseling out of this distortion of we are all in com- competition with each other and my way is better than your way. Uh-huh. If we cannot come together, how do we expect our clients to come together? If yes. we can't be united, how do we expect them to learn how to be united? Right. If we are not living in truth, how can we expect them to live in truth. 
That was not an audience member that was laughing during that entire presentation. That was John It's been a long day. Wait a minute. It's been a long day. In the Mormon stories. It was just me. It was all four of us. I was the only person laughing. It's all four of us. (laughs) What in the world? Yeah, Can I, you know but that uh, was irritating. Yeah. Maybe just carry around a tape recorder and just re- record yourself and listen to it back and just see if there's something you might want to change your wording on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> but that was that was your. I, I had not seen that clip. I had not yeah, seen that clip I either. I had not seen clearly. None I'm of us sorry. had seen it except for Mindy. Mindy. Everybody's mad at me for laughing. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Mindy, why did you choose that clip? How dare why? I? Should I, have been warned. I didn't know that it was going to have that reaction. <laughs> no, but it's been a long day in the Mormon Stories podcast. <laughs> That's true. We're a little punchy. We're, yeah. we're a little yeah. bit punchy. But I, he just said distortion and truth he just yeah. he just adopted jody hildebrand's lingo right, right. which That's i thought was interesting. fascinating he kind of tied that in after she had been talking about it and talking about it and then he ties it into his own remarks yeah i don't know if we should show the next clip <laughs> based on how well, things are I'll going be, I'll behave. let me let me I'll see behave. if i can get if i can bring us back down a okay. little bit i'm always good to be the downer you know Megan, i'm Megan, just thinking about down. i'm thinking about what jody was saying and the way she was describing therapy and and of course you saying like that she openly told her clients that they were responsible for their own depression. And I'm just thinking about my own therapy journey and where I was mentally and emotionally so fragile when I first reached out for for therapeutic help. And I'm just imagining if my therapist had said to me that I was responsible for my own depression and that it was my basically my fault that I was depressed and that I could just choose to just snap out of it immediately if I would just choose to be in truth. I, you know, I think that would have just made me sicker for a long time, Absolutely. you know, and it's just so harmful. I think, I think any, but any mental health professional out there would listen to that and say, that's garbage. Agreed. All right. Should we, are you, John? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I'm you good. good? I'm good. Okay. Um, <laughs> the next, the next clip is, uh, talk is where Tom Harrison references, um, his relationship with Neil A. Maxwell. So he brings him up again, and this is a common theme for Tom. I think he uses that relationship or that past relationship often to, um, give him a little bit higher stance or, or more credibility. So he just, he's, he's on the same panel with, um, with, or I believe it's a different panel, but he's with Jody Hildebrandt and he's talking about some advice that Neil A. Maxwell gave him. We think that sex. Oh no. Wrong clip. This is the wrong clip. Oh no, don't play it. (laughs) Oh, maybe I took out that other clip. Well, Spoiler alert, the next clip is about sex. Do you want and, to summarize what, what, yeah, what we would so have heard? He just, he talked about um, just getting this, and it was just very solemn the way he spoke about how Neil A. Maxwell um, gave him advice about how in each of us we have our own universe, and then if we can understand our own universe, then we can connect more deeply with others in in their universe. That was the That was the gist of it, so... I, it was more for the Neil A. Maxwell connection than anything for him to mention that. So, is this the clip? Is this the clip? Man yes, we're switched. Yes. Okay, we'll play Thank this. you, John. Okay, sure. let's go back. 
and said, Tom, yep. within us, we have our own universes. And first we need to deal with this universe, understand it completely before we can understand the broader universe. May we understand our own universe. May we understand at a higher level these God-given bodies that are ours. And I think that that clip is interesting because he's obviously, obviously talking very seriously. The universe reference is, is talking about I believe about getting to know our own intimacy and our own sexuality, because this was given in the couples and intimacy panel. So he's referencing Neil A. Maxwell and he's talking about um, the advice that was given to him um, and how we can be better intimate partners if we can understand each other. And the re I'm, rem I'm remembering one of the reasons that I chose this clip is because in the very same panel, he makes this joke that we're going to see next and it just it seemed just so bizarre and out of place considering the clip that we just saw about um about the advice from neil a. maxwell so you can do the next little and that clip, was jody John. sitting next to him too that's that. jody yeah jody's with him this on, on this entire panel she's sitting fascinating next to him. too yep so now we can have the sex clip okay we think that sex is only this six inch square on the human body and and i'm exaggerating with six inches okay <laughs> no pun intended that's not a pun that wasn't a pun, <laughs> that's not not a pun. pun. <laughs> and it's just bizarre and inappropriate in my opinion to make a joke like that in that setting while at the same time talking about advice that neil a. maxwell is giving them i wasn't expecting that yeah yeah i wasn't big surprise just trying to lighten up the audience. I, I didn't guess. make yeah. one snicker. There was not one no snicker. Snickers. It's not really funny. It's, just, it's <laughs> just weird it's and wrong. It's inappropriate. And yeah. I think there was a delay, and then you see Jody Hildebrand kind of do this furrowed eyebrow, like, <laughs> look at this kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> She's laugh. like, like, distortion. Did he just? <laughs> no, that's funny, Lauren. <laughs> did he just say what he thought he said? All right. Should we move on? Any other Let's thoughts about Jody? Okay. Yeah. All right. Next up is Tim Ballard in Operation well, actually, Underground. Actually, I will Railroad. make one comment. Okay. I am going to answer my own question. Why has the church used such unethical therapists as its referred therapists and as its trainers and spokespeople? It's because the the field of science-based mental health has matured to be in contradiction to core Mormon doctrine. So, you know, the mental health field would say that same-sex love, same-sex marriage, same -se that same-sex attraction is natural, it's not a choice, it can't be fixed, and that the best outcomes for LGBTQ individuals is to find the love that fulfills them and engage in committed love. Every single, every single um, therapist professional association is going to affirm that. So any ethical therapist that follows and has allegiance to their ethics is going to, by definition, be out of alignment with Mormon church's core doctrine and theology. So there, chop off all those ethical therapists that the church can't 
refer people to if they want to refer their members to people that toe the party line. Same thing with masturbation. Pediatric Association, American Medical Association, American Psychiatric, Psychological, all the different associations are going to say that masturbation is healthy, normative behavior. And that's the first thing that got Natasha Helfer in trouble with uh, LDS Social Services, with her local bishop and stake president, is she was saying, we need to stop pathologizing masturbation because it's healthy and normal, and to pathologize it is causing more harm than otherwise would happen. And of course, she gets yanked off the therapy rec therapist recommendation list and has to build up her own clientele separately from that. So I'm gonna answer my own questions. The church picks unethical, um, harmful therapists like Jody, like, uh, like um, Tom, uh, because they're the only ones that will toe the party line against the ethics of their own professional associations. Yeah, I, and I want to mention as well, I, I did some of this research for my book, so I'm not a mental health professional, but I do know that there is no diagnosis of sex addiction in the DSM. It just isn't there. And most mental health professionals agree that addiction is not specific to sex. And so the entire you know, church addiction recovery program then becomes problematic because it's really based on that premise. And so if it's not supported by mental health professionals, then they have to necessarily employ people who will continue to perpetuate the idea that you have a sex addiction if you masturbate and that sexual addiction is a huge problem. And I think we saw that in the Adam Paul Steed interview and his comments about Jody's therapy practices is that she basically um, classifies everyone as an addict. And, you know, regardless of whether it fits the diagnostic criteria for addiction, she just labels everyone as an addict. And then that guarantees that they have to be in therapy with her. Yeah. And we also just can't put all the blame on Jody Hildebrand or Tom Harrison. The Mormon Church imported the Alcoholics Anonymous whole program into its faux mental health services, uh, I don't know, around 2009, 2010, that's my memory, and started these addiction and recovery groups within Mormon wards and Mormon stakes. And it was not to treat alcoholism, it was not to treat meth, it was not to treat um, any, you know, heroin, opiates, it was to treat sex addiction. And when it said sex addiction, of course, there were it was an occasional, um, you know, pedophile in there or something of that nature. But the vast majority of people referred to these addiction recovery groups weren't people that were masturbating and looking at porn seven, eight, nine hours a day. It would often be somebody that was masturbating and looking at porn for 20 minutes once every three to four weeks. And they were literally the ones being characterized as as addicts and this is not just jody hildebrandt it's system-wide for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints to this day so yeah, that's problematic yeah. yep we're good all right all right moving on we've got tim ballard and operation underground railroad and i think it's an interesting thing to note that we've been we mentioned previously that we've been talking about doing this episode talking about um visions of glory and tom harrison for a while and 
it's just I wasn't aware of the association, the close association that Tom Harrison had with Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad until just recently. So it was just so interesting that that news has just come out in the last few weeks. And then we were already planning on talking about this. So, of course, we need to add this to the discussion. Um, At some point, Tom left his private practice to become a chief consultant for Operation Underground Railroad. And in this next video clip, we have a shout out to Kresha Easton. Kresha is um, the aunt of JJ Vallow, mm-hmm. and she has she has prepared some information about the connections between um, Tom Harrison and some of these groups, and and she prepared this video clip where Tim Ballard is describing his feelings about um, Tom Harrison and how he can be helpful in Operation Underground Railroad. And her YouTube channel is difficult to research. Oh, thank you, Lauren. That's correct. So I, I, I wanted to do my own research on it, and I, and I found a, a brain specialist, one of the people that helps us res- uh, heal the brain of the children who have been traumatized. His name's Tom Harrison. That's a short clip, but it's interesting that Tim Ballard describes him as a brain specialist. Can I just say that would be a neurologist? <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's what a brain, a brain specialist is not like a master's in social work kind of dude. Can no. I just say that? Right, <laughs> right. And that he's. And does to... he have a PhD or a master's in social work? Masters. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Help, no, just helping to heal the brain of <laughs> children who have been traumatized. Get a neuropsychology degree in his spare time. <laughs> it's just oh, okay. It's not on LinkedIn. I don't All right. think so. <laughs> Go ahead, and I'll. Oh, no, go ahead with your thoughts. Well, I think you're about to st- to maybe talk about it, so I don't want to jump. Oh, the next thing, just the next point is, is in these new documents that we've, that we've been, um, that we've been able to view about the civil cases that have come against Tim Ballard. We referenced this previously, previously, but we will review it. Um, Tim claims that Tom had a vision that Tim would be a U.S. Senator, the President of the United States, and ultimately the prophet of the LDS Church to help usher in the second coming. Do you want to put up that quote again? From This is from the victim. It's the previous one. Previous quote? Um, there it is. Okay. Yep, sorry. This is from the Tim Ballard lawsuit, excerpt from victim statement HDT. Um. He also had told me to read this book. It was called The Visions of Glory, and that he had met with the man who wrote it. His name was Tom Harrison, and that Tom had told him lots of visions that he had had that actually had Tim in them. He said that Tim would be a prophet of the LDS Church one day, that he would be president of the United States. So Tom Harrison told Tim Ballard that he saw in a vision that Tim Ballard would be prophet of the LDS Church and president of the United States. Tom Harrison. According to HDT, one of the the female victims. victims. Correct. Did you have something to add there, Lauren, or are we going to go? No, keep going. Keep going. Okay. And then the next slide is from... Do we do the previous one? The The, one that had the yellow and the pink markings. Yeah, let's do that one. Okay. That's from the FOIA docs, right? Yeah. Um, John, do you want to read that one? Yeah, sure. Um, This is Liberty 89, Elder Ballard. I don't so, know what that means. Okay, so uh, this is this 
person is named Cherston. She is a former okay. uh, Cherston Stockwell. I hope I'm pronouncing her you, name you right. You did pronounce it right. Okay. She's a former Operation Underground Railroad employee. And this is from the Davis County case that uh, came about previously. And I think it was the cause for Tim Ballard to be ousted from Operation Underground Railroad earlier in the, this year. And she is she is giving testimony about some of her interactions with this entity called Liberty 89. And that's what this slide talks okay. about. It's from the Freedom of Information Act request that uh, Vice News got and, and all of the journalists in Utah were able to, to get. Yeah, it's from this. All right. So here's what it says. Cheerston said Tim took her to a meeting in her official OUR work capacity to meet with people at Thanksgiving Point. The people at the meeting included Tom Harrison, Ken Krogh, Hugh Vale, Tim Ballard. Cheerston said they claimed to have visions and special intelligence of the second coming. Uh, Cheerston said that because she had shared some spiritual things and Tim found out about it, he, Tim, could share with her the more, quote, secret things that I'm, Tim, involved in. Cheerston said during this meeting, they spoke about Liberty 89, America being a fallen nation, and how it was Tim's calling to do these things with OUR and restoring America to the covenant. Cheerston said restoring America to the covenant was, quote, a big mission of Tim's, and he was called of God to do this. Cherston said Tim was very verbal about Elder M. Russell Ballard, his involvement in and behind it, but Cherston said she didn't know if she believed that. Cherston also said Tim would say that M. Russell Ballard is a part of Liberty 89. Tim would tell us that, but Hugh was there and Hugh is an employee, so it would be more employees than just Cherston. Right. So I just think that's just illustrating another connection between Tim Ballard, Tom Harrison, visionary talk, end of times talk. We're special. Yeah. Elder Ballard's in the mix there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then we have the ketamine, the ketamine notes right. from, from last episode. Yeah. Do you want to set that I don't up know one more time? It, do we want to do that one again? Yeah. And then I have a few other notes too that I, I can just read from yes. my phone. Yes. That's the last of the, of the section. I'll just summarize so, this ketamine yeah. thing. Basically it's notes for my guess, the ketamine guy. Scribe. 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 Mm -hmm. And it's basically just, you know, I can put it up on this slide. People can pause it if they want, but he's basically mentioning. Um, this is Tim Ballard that was, do, that had a ketamine session. And had somebody scribe for him. So these are Tim Ballard's thoughts. Yeah. And he basically is talking about Nephi and Tom Harrison and angels and uh, mentions Tom Harrison. I think that's enough. We yeah. can yeah, yeah. make that point. That's enough. Okay. Yep. I All think right. we've made that point. Okay. Um, and then there's one. Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No. What is that that you just had? Why? Is that? Oh, I think mm. that Megan added this slide. Oh, oh, perfect. Yeah. We don't have to. I mean, yeah so i just want to point out uh, so so the civil lawsuits came down um and we don't have slides for these so so the two civil lawsuits that we've already discussed and these are some of the quotes from the victims and from the attorney about um what tim says to, to these alleged victims ballard would claim to his female ruse partners that if his wife, Catherine, were to die, he would immediately marry them. Ballard told one of his victims that when his wife would question what Ballard was doing with these women, Ballard would tell his wife that his female 
partners kept falling in love with him and wanted to kill Catherine so that they could be together. I want to bring up that this is also a trend in Visions of Glory, in Chad Daybell, in many of the people who believe in multiple probations, they predict that their current wife is going to die or someone's trying to kill their wife or something's going to happen and that they will marry a past wife, a past life wife. Um, more from these from the civil lawsuit. Um, he went as far as saying that the individual was obsessed with him and that she wanted to marry him, be his wife when he was the president of the United States, and that she physically wanted to hurt Catherine. He told me that she was trying to put cookies on his doorstep to poison Catherine. He painted her out to be this crazy person who became obsessed with him and wanted to hurt Catherine. Um, and now here we go, some new pages. In quotes, never mention this to anyone. No one will ever understand. This is for the greater good and the new covenant. We had to be married in past lives, he would say. This so, is Tim to this one is Tim of the to one of the victims. Okay. So they were married now in a past life. Um, hence, and it's for the greater good and the new covenant. Um, and here's one more. Another interesting finding was stumbling upon some of AA's notes. So this is actually the husband of AA, victim AA. They're learning. the second civil lawsuit. It's the correct? second civil okay. lawsuit. Correct. Thank you. Another interesting finding was stumbling upon some of AA's notes. One in particular was extremely disturbing, especially when I read it without the benefit of context. The note was describing some sort of trance or spell Tim was under while under the influence of ketamine. He was talking to Nephi, Tom Harrison, and others. He was talking about past lives and how he and AA were together in a past life, held captive together. He was saying that AA was an angel and chosen by Catherine to carry out these missions. So not only are we talking about past lives, which is Daybell, um, we're talking about Catherine giving approval, which is, I think, in my opinion, spiritual polygamy, that Catherine's choosing these women, and that also goes with Lori Fallow Daybell, suggesting that she's an eternal friend with Tammy Daybell, and uh, pretty much telling these women that they were married in a past life. I mean, never mind that he's talking to Nephi and Tom Harrison and others, but he, then he's talking about past lives and how he and A were together in a past life, held captive. Um, sound familiar? So I just want to point out those few few moments. There are more in the civil lawsuit, right. but those are a few moments. Yeah. Yeah. The, I want to refer people to Carolyn Pearson's excellent book, The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. M modern Mormons want to believe that the polygamy is behind us, but it's not. It's still in Doctrine and Covenants, Section 132. It's never been retracted. The top two Mormon leaders in the world right now, Russell and Nelson and Dallin H. Oaks, both believe that they will be practicing polygamy in the afterlife. And these fundamentalist and neo-fundamentalist beliefs of spiritual wives and even real polygamous wives in the here and now, um, you know, we interviewed yet last last night um, the the daughter of Christopher Brett. Of, of Christopher Brett. She said on the podcast that he believes in in plural marriage right now yes. as as the leader of Avow. That's what she reported. He owns the Avow website, another voice of warning, which the Southern Utah or the Southern Poverty Law Center declares as a terrorist organization. Yeah, yeah. But 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 this polygamy thing is just still haunting us I so it is yeah really quick um 
Megan, you had included this statement from former OUR employees. Did this have a connection to Tom Harrison or Visions of Glory? Um, no, Just I don't believe so. It, well, I, I don't believe so. I think it, it was alleged that, um, you know, that, that Tim Ballard was using, you know, supernatural resources rather than actual intelligence on his operations. But so didn't like the, mention the psychic Tom. Janet, the psychic, right. okay, it, yeah, channeling Nephi. Yeah, didn't mention Tom Harrison specifically. Okay, but we all know that that Tim Ballard paid a psychic, I think six figures, Correct. to try and help him gather uh, quote intelligence about these operations or jumps that they would do, and the you know the one that I saw, the one in Haiti where they're trying to find Gardy, is just a joke, because it's a fool's errand. They don't find him, and they spent hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars on a fake jump with great footage to not find the kid they went to see because the intelligence they were pursuing was from some housewife in Utah who was channeling Nephi through a psychic experience. Yeah, and I think what we've read in some of these documents as well is that um, it was not just that one particular jump, but really the the origin story of Operation Underground Railroad came to pass because this psychic told Tim Ballard, oh, I know where this missing child is. This missing child has been sold into slavery. He's being trafficked. And that's sort of how the whole OUR movement got you know, started was on the advice of a psychic. Yeah. There are actually two psychics me mentioned in the in the documents. The one that I think we've been talking about the most is Janet Rusin. Rusin. Yeah. But there's also a, a psychic named Lori that's also mentioned. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. We are going to next talk about um, Maurice Harker. We hinted to him earlier. And I felt like this was important to share this story because this case happened kind of during maybe Hildebrand and things were going on and it just didn't get a lot of press, but I think it's important and there is a connection. Um, he also presented at Eternal Core and the video clip that we are going to play is a, a portion of his presentation at the Eternal Core conference, the same one that that all the others have been, been on that we, we spoke about. Um, he speaks about how treating satanic temptation must be included in our therapeutic practices. So let's listen to a little bit of his speech, and then we'll talk about the charges that have been brought against him. But what if we learn how to teach people to watch your chemical reactions and the high-speed satanic thoughts that enter your mind? It's only as hard as hitting a 90-mile-an-hour curveball in baseball, but it can be trained. Okay? Um... I'll just get down to my final conclusions here. Self-mastery is not just a matter of willpower and choice. There is an intelligent, strategic, destruction-oriented entity significantly and subtly involved in both temptation and torment. This is not a new concept. Our spiritual leaders have reminded us of this throughout all of history, across most cultures and religions. They just didn't give us a scientific explanation for how it works. We now have that. Studying our science of psychology while ignoring psychological, biochemical, satanic attacks is like preparing our loved ones for a war that is only against ourselves. You're doing it to yourself. You're doing it to yourself that I call psychological civil war. Or against organic elements like trees and weather conditions. It's just about your body. It's just about your body. No, it is not. We have a responsibility 
to understand and teach all factors of that influence the psychological experience. Excluding spiritual influences on human psychology is like excluding the concepts of nature and nurture. It is irresponsible. <laughs> if we do not learn to become aware of satanic intrusive thoughts and chemical reactions that cause cognitive and uh, if we do not, and if we do not become accurately trained to respond to such attacks with the necessary accuracy, speed, and strength, we are not fully equipped to acquire psychological self-mastery. We do know the solution. We do know how to train people to do this. It can be taught. You do not have to live in a state of fear. It can be taught. So in your notes, if you want more information, there's several links there to finish the conversation since we only had 30 minutes. Thank you. And there's Mari Starker in the photo. Can I, can I read the most recent article about Marie please, Sarker? Please do. Fox 13 now in Utah. This is September. Uh, this was September 19th, 2023. By Spencer Burt, Farmington, Utah. A therapist based in Davis County has been charged with abusing a vulnerable woman over the span of several years under the guise of providing her therapy. Maurice Wade Harker, 54, was charged Tuesday with aggravated abuse of a vulnerable adult and kidnapping both second-degree felonies. According to the charging documents, Harker repeatedly abused a client of his between 2012 and 2021. The woman suffered serious injuries throughout this time and said she even thought she might die during one of the sessions. The woman said Harker used aggressive, hands-on, and even violent tactics, claiming that he had to do so because she was possessed by a demon. And then there's a follow-up to that where he exposed the patient to um, pornography to help teach her about sex. And then he would lay on top of her 